Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into the Pegasus podcast presented by Night Sports Now. This is episode 13. I am Bailey Adams and I'm joined as always by Christian Simmons. You can find us on Twitter at BaileyJAdams20 at ca Simmons and go ahead and throw us a follow at Night Sports Now while you're there. Uh, we have breaking news on the Pegasus this week. Harvey is now the leader in the clubhouse to receive the Greg McRae for Heisman treatment for me. All it took was three first half touchdowns in the spring game. And um, that's, it's not final. I haven't decided for sure if RJ Harvey's going to get that to me. I haven't even decided if I'm going to do it for, for sure. I, I might retire it with Greg McRae. It just, it doesn't feel the same when it's not Greg McRae, but we'll, uh, we'll get into the spring game talk here in a minute. And to do so, we have Jason Beatty, publisher of Knights 24 seven, who's uh, with 24 uh, seven sports. He's here to talk UCF spring game with us. So Jason, how are you doing tonight, man? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me on. I've listened to a few episodes here and there. And uh, I wasn't I wasn't surprised when you guys asked me to come on. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Yeah, we're, we're happy to have you. And you're our, you're our second ever guest. You're our, our second esteemed <laughs> guest on this podcast. Yeah, I mean, we'll jump right into it. I don't even think I really Christian. Hey, Christian. How's it going, man? Hi, Bailey. Hi, Jason. How's it going? <laughs> Christian yeah. is also here. I, I mentioned his name, but didn't bring him in. But yeah, um, full disclosure, I missed the spring game. I wasn't in town, but both Jay. So they're going to be carrying a lot of this conversation about the spring game. I'm going to kind of facilitate it myself um, and we'll jump right in. I mean, before we get to I'll start with Jason, before we get to individuals that stood out to you, were there any like general observations that you made just about the game, about the processes or it was anything that stood out to you in, in general? Yeah, I mean, it's it felt like a normal spring game. Um, I didn't sense anything majorly different. I mean, to be honest with you, I, I don't know. I feel like I'd like to see the coaches on the field again. You know, you don't get to see that in the fall. You know, Gus Malzahn behind Dylan Gabriel and all the other quarterbacks, and that's always fun to see. Um, you know, it did feel like the players were just excited to be out there and in front of fans again. Um, but I didn't notice like, oh, this is totally different from previous springs or anything like that. Um, but there was good energy in the stadium. Uh, I think a lot of people were anticipating this game, especially with the new coaching staff and uh, all the younger players having the chance to really shine this spring. And uh, it was a, just a good atmosphere overall. It was fun just to like, at least from my perspective, I, I was out in the stands for this one, just having UCF fans back in a crowd together like that with a lot more optimism than we've seen in a while. Cause for the second half of 2020, it was kind of just like, let's just get the season over with, but yeah, it was fun being back out there. I know, I know some curious if you noticed this Jason, that I don't know if this is different previous years, but there was a ton of stuff on the jumbotron throughout the game or the video screen, whatever you call it of like, here's UCF's draft picks, uniform of the year winner in 2018, like lots of like recruit motivated stuff. It seemed like, I'm not sure if that's something we've seen in the past or if that was a new thing. Yeah, I was thinking about that because they had that kind of set up at the scrimmages that they were doing, uh, the three Saturdays or the open practices that they were doing the three Saturdays prior. Um, you know, I, I've seen they've had stuff like that. I don't know if it was exactly like that in the past, um, but I thought that was really good, just the history of the program and not just the past three or four years, but, you know, dating back to, you know, way earlier, I guess, that maybe recruits today might not know about, like, you know, the festival, the first festival, right? Um, <laughs> so I, as having things like that is, I think, from a recruiting perspective, is, is really good. Forgotten festival for, for a lot of people for some reason, <laughs> but... I'm gonna actually gonna to have to amend my my second question I had for you, Jason, because you mentioned how nothing really seemed too different 
Springs under different head coaches, but I, I do kind of want to ask about the vibe. You mentioned it a little bit, but did you notice anything with the players in terms of excitement, anything with their vibe a little bit different now as compared to maybe the way they feel last season? Yeah, I think speaking with the players, um, you know, I think they've been pretty honest with us and candid with us, which, which we appreciate greatly. Uh, certain players, you know, we were talking with uh, someone who hasn't really talked in the media a whole, to- a whole lot in his time at UCF, but we spoke with, you know, who suddenly had kind of a, I think, redshirt senior. I think this is his final season, John Powell, the cornerback. Uh, I think this is my first time talking with him before the end of spring. And he, he was, he held back on a few things, but certain players like Anthony Montalvo and, um, you know, other players that were on the team last year and who had maybe even been uh, not just Josh Heupel, but with Scott Frost, they were very candid about, you know, what they like about this coaching staff. We've seen it from Dylan Gabriel, just talking about how these coaches have been more honest and, uh, you know, saying things like they tell us what we need to hear, not what we want to hear. You know, I think, in the press conferences with the players, I, I just feel like, you know, when we ask them, like, you know, what's different or what do you like about this spring compared to previous springs or, you know, questions like that, uh, they, they're more honest with us and they, they just feel like, I don't know if it's more comfort level or, or whatever it may be. Um, but I really like that from the players, um, you know, in, in practices and uh, at the spring game itself, you know, there's always good energy around you know, because these guys have had, you know, three or four months off and first time out on a football field in front of fans since December. So I think there was just good energy all around. And talking about differences and how the players are talking, it also just feels like Gus Malzahn of the media and Josh Hype of the media are like very night and day. <laughs> I mean, I know Hype is <laughs> sort of always like, well, you know, attack relentlessly, go on and know, sort of on a loop. And Gus is over here, like, we're going to schedule top 10 teams and beat them. And here's exactly what's going on. I mean, I, <laughs> it, is that interesting from just a covering the team perspective of, I mean, is the is Gus seem more open to a relationship with the media? And I think we would see that regardless of it, whether, let's say it was not Gus Malzahn, but I, you know, let's say, I don't know if they hired a more, if they're a different type of experience coach. Josh Heupel and Scott Frost were both first year coaches at UCF when they became coaches. So when they're trying to become a head coach for the first time, they want everyone to like them. I don't think Gus cares at all. <laughs> Obviously he wants people to like him, right? He wants to win games, which in, which in terms uh, fans will like him and his success, but uh, Gus will you know, say what he wants. I mean, we asked him about Johnny Richardson who had a great day. And he said, the one thing that stands out to me is he needs more experience. It's like, that's not a compliment, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I think Gus is just, He's, this isn't his first rodeo, right? He's an experienced head coach. This is probably the easiest media market he's ever been in, uh, you know, in terms of tough questions. Maybe Mike Bianchi might get a few ones in there, but um, I, I think he's just really comfortable and he kind of has the monkey off the back. Of the, there's no pressure. There's, you know, it's really just family oriented in the locker room with the coaches and the new coaching staff. And uh, I think he's just genuinely happy to be here. Yeah, well, you mentioned the the players and and what they've liked that's different under Malzahn so far. The Christian pointed out a little bit of the, the differences earlier on with uh, what he saw on the the video boards and all that for recruits. Another thing that's seeming to be already a hit with recruits is more un- innovation from UCF. Um, they had the players had Twitter handles, their Twitter handles on the back of their jerseys for the spring game, and and just was curious, Jason, the impressions of that were, and, and if you've heard it, not anything specific, of course, but if you've heard anything or seen anything 
that's promising in, in terms of that front and what that did for. Yeah, I've, I've talked with, uh, you know, a handful of recruits, not every single one that was in attendance, but, uh, you know, four or five recruits in the past in the past few days here. And when I've asked them about that, I mean, even if I had some of them, I had I didn't even ask about it. I just said, what were your overall thoughts of attending the game? And they couple out the jerseys right away. Uh, so, you know, check mark there. Right. And when I when the when I did ask about it more specifically, like, did you like that? Is that something you would like to see in the future? Um, you know, one recruit mentioned it's it, it's it's fun for a spring game. One recruit mentioned it kind of reminded him like an all-star game, sort of something you do different because, you know, not everyone's watching your spring game. Not everyone's watching your all-star game, but it gives you an opportunity uh, to do something different. And, you know, talking with recruits, you know, 17 and 18 year old kids, uh, I think they, you know, they're all on social media. They love all the interactions. And, uh, you know, that's one thing, you know, there was a recruit who dropped his top 10. Uh, which included majority of power five schools and then that UCF, the video had like 20,000 views and almost a hundred uh, replies. And I think 80 of them were from UCF fans. So <laughs> I think the message of, you know, not just Twitter, but social media in general, uh, something that, you know, recruits love. I think majority of them I've talked with have seemed like it was a genuinely cool idea. And yeah, okay, I get that recruits like it, but we have, have we considered how 60 year old college football fans might feel about it? Because <laughs> that's the audience we really should be worried about here. I, I mean, I'm curious because the react, I mean, UCF, this took off on social media. I think UCF posted got like 7 million interactions there, tweet about this. And the reaction was pretty mixed. And I feel like you can definitely attribute a lot of it to like people just hate UCF and hate to see UCF get <laughs> yeah. attention. But there was yeah. kind of this undercurrent, especially from people you can just kind of tell, like from the fact that their Twitter profile is an egg, that they're a little older. And it's like, is this, should, is there any reason at all to be concerned from a culture perspective about this? I guess is what I'm asking from your perspective. Yeah. I mean, I, to be honest, I don't think we're going to see this in the fall. You know, I, I don't think it's going to be a, um, a, a, you know, a, a, I'm trying to think of the word, something that sticks the whole way through. I think it's just maybe a one-off, maybe even next year's spring game, you know, who knows, but I think Gus made it pretty clear, like, you know, they're still a team. I think, I don't remember who asked him about it after the game, but, you know, in terms of individuality and, and, you know, everyone's out for themselves and, you know, follow me. If you don't follow me, you know, don't follow my teammates. And I don't know. I think people, older adults and other older fans, some people were like, well, this is all about the me generation. And eh, I don't know, get over yourselves. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think Gus made it really clear that, uh, you know, this, they're still a team. They're still a family. Uh, I think the players understand just because their Twitter handles on the back of their jersey doesn't mean they're fighting for the same goal, which is to win championships and, and get to New Year's Six Bowls and college football playoffs. So um, I, I don't think from a culture standpoint, it, I don't think it matters a whole lot. I think it's just a lot of fun and people take it too seriously. <laughs> of course, of course, people are going to take it seriously because people take themselves that, very seriously. The and <laughs> Yeah. And I don't, I don't want to attack the, the older generation, but it's a lot of it is, it's just, that's where, where we are in, in this day and age right now is how big social media is. And it's good to see UCF taking advantage of that and, and, you know, kind of just steering into the current with it because you gotta, you gotta innovate and you gotta, you gotta kind of go with the flow. And, and if this, you know, for better or worse, we're in the age of social media and the fact that they're, they're taking part in that, um, it can only mean good things for recruiting, especially based on what you, you're saying with, with the early things you've heard. But um, back to, to the on the field stuff, did you have 
that kind of stood out to you the most on offense and defense? Yeah, I think offense, we, you know, Christian mentioned RJ Harvey right from the, right from the top. Uh, you know, I think he's an, he's an easy one to pick on for sure. But I thought, uh, you know, a few other guys on offense, Ryan O'Keefe looked really good. He caught a few balls. Brandon Johnson stood out to me. I mean, there were some third downs where, you know, who's, who's Dylan Gabriel going to go to? And uh, Brandon seemed to be that guy. He got a few passes for almost 50 yards. Um, you know, I think uh, Jalen Robinson and uh, some of those ju- junior college guys get uh, Jalen Griffin. Sorry, both Jalen's Flash and uh, the new guy, Jalen Griffin, our junior college. I think they were a little banged up, so we didn't get to see them as much. But, yeah, offensively, you know, RJ Harvey had a great, you know, first half of football. Uh, defensively, I, a guy I mentioned before, Anthony Montalvo, I think he almost had like three sacks. He seemed to be, you know, getting to the secondary quarterbacks as well. Um, so those were two guys for me on offense and defense that stood out to me. Christian, I mean, how about you? Yeah, I, the only one I'm going to throw in there, even though he's not going to be relevant in the coming year, is Mikey Keene. I love Mikey Keene. <laughs> I am so on the Mikey Keene hype train. Like, it's ridiculous. I haven't felt this way about a quarterback since Dylan Gabriel or Mackenzie Milton. So really excited <laughs> about I- Mikey Keene. <laughs> Yeah, I think with Mikey, it's like, you know, when you watch Dylan Gabriel, I don't see Mackenzie Milton there. You know, when I watch Mikey there, even if it, even though it was just for a few plays, I saw Mackenzie Milton oh, on yeah. the field. I mean, that just – and nothing against Parker Navarro or Quadri or any of those other guys. Mikey's going to be starting once Dylan leaves. I mean, that's – you know, that's just my – that's my opinion. I think Christian agrees. And then if you're talking about future players that stood out to me, the guy he threw a touchdown to, Charlie Browder. Uh, true freshman early enrollee uh, you know they signed two tight ends and I think they're both from North Carolina actually uh, and and he he looks like he's gonna have a great future tight end which is encouraging Christian we I feel I think we're pretty vindicated here with the, the Mikey Keene talk that we've been kind of pumping all all throughout our podcast history so far we've been there since feel the pretty day good he about signed that. and now you've heard it here first he's gonna start in 2022 get ready I've, Feel pretty good about that, but yeah, I'm glad you you, uh, you mentioned some of the under the radar guys that that might uh, pop out in the future. But I think uh, something that I'm I'm curious about in terms of kind of the, one of the lesser talked about, well, maybe not for UCF, but one of the lesser talked about aspects of the game, the special teams. Uh, from what I understand, Daniel Obarski had some struggles in Saturday's spring game. Do you get the feeling that he's kind of running out of some time to to show some consistency? I know they brought in, I believe it was a JUCO guy, right? There, there's some competition there, isn't there? Uh, yeah, so the it wasn't junior college. It was actually coming from App State. Uh, Riker Casey, he's a new Summer okay. Beach native. He'll be arriving over the summer. Uh, he was actually in attendance. I reported that before the day of the game. He was in attend. He was at least supposed to be in attendance. I haven't talked with him since then, but uh, he was planning on being at the game, so I'm pretty sure he made it. He's an Orlando native. But um, yeah, I don't know if time is running out or so. Um, you know, from here on out, it's a mind game. For Daniel Barsky, it's like when a Patriot gets the yes, right? It's mm. he, is he gonna improve? I don't know. I mean, when he went out to kick that 46 yard field goal that he missed, I felt bad for the kid. I mean, you know, you, you had some struggles this past season, uh, and he goes out first. And I had to tweet what happened in the play, and I knew the second I would hit tweet on Daniel Barsky's field goal is no good. My replies were just, you know, someone said they could field goal from their apartment in Coral Springs and someone else's, you know, whatever, what all these people just had something to say, like as if they can kick field goals or something. But um, I don't know. It's, it doesn't feel like he has 
you know, something would have to change dramatically. It, it seems like something's, you know, from a mental standpoint, I don't know if it's nerves or what. He has a great leg. We've seen that from the kickoffs he's been able to do. And he, he did make a field goal. Uh, I think he missed one extra point and he made a couple other ones, but, uh, and he made a 30 yard field goal. Um, but I think bringing in competition, the only other kicker on the roster is Stephen Martin, a walk-on from Dr. Phillips. Uh, so he's not on scholarship. So I think, uh, you know, nothing against your previous coaching staff or anything like that. But when you have a guy like Matthew Wright, you kind of don't have to recruit kickers. And Dylan Barnes was kind of like kind of sitting behind Matthew the whole time. And he comes in and he's, he's good enough, right? And you don't really focus on recruiting kickers or having, you know, you don't want to use a lot of scholarship spots on kickers, right? You should only have to have one guy, really, maybe two maximum, just in case the other guy gets injured. And then you have your walk-ons that you, if break glass, if emergency, right? Um, right. You know, so I, I don't know. I think Daniel Barsky competition will help him a lot. And, and bringing in Riker Casey over the summer um, will be interesting to see how that plays out. It's such a head. It's such a head game with kickers, and I mean that's not anything new, obviously. But just I, I've seen it. I'm a Bucks fan, so I know all about the kicking issues <laughs> and how how quickly things can go downhill. But yeah, it just seemed like last season it, it wasn't all there mentally for for Daniel Barsky. And you know, I think because once you miss, like I, I think partly was the the big kick against Memphis, and like that happens. I think you kind of kind of gets, and it's it's not it's not easy. I'm not I'm not saying it's easy to kind of just push that to the back of your mind. But um, we're, we're kind of at a point now where it, it sounds like he's having still and he's got to figure it out because I'm going to have some um, some competition coming in to, to potentially replace him. But um, I'm going to throw it back to Christian. Christian, did you have anything else that, that really stood out to you as far as, um, you know, offense or defense? Or and I know you talked about Mikey Keene. Was there anything else, specifically offense? I think that's what people like to hear about. But any, anybody on offense that was uh, – especially impressive to you i like how our entire podcast last week was a defensive podcast and they're like offense that's what the people want yeah. let's give it back to it them. is what the people want it's what the numbers um, say <laughs> you're not wrong um yeah no i like you said i i also i like how at the start of this bailey you said that uh you're not you haven't decided for sure yet if rj harvey is your new heisman guy you sent the tweet man like it's done like that's out there I, I rj mean, harvey is the guy now <laughs> i suppose it's over. The new Greg McRae. I think that RJ Harvey is the new Greg McRae. I think that Johnny Richardson is the new Adrian Killens. We've got all these great. We're just going to keep passing mantles at this point. But yeah, no, I, I like I like I said, it's also it's always a little hard to tell from a spring game just because they're playing against each other. So like, you know, you can't take too much from it. I thought one thing is what we're just talking about is special teams as a whole didn't seem great that day. I know we had some like punting issues too. So that's definitely like a point of concern. But also like I know special teams is important, but if you come away from a spring game and your biggest concern is special teams and not like the quarterback, then I'm not going to be that upset. I'll say another name I was happy to see out there. Two guys that were happy to see out there and, and, and get some passes. Deontay Marks, the transfer from Florida. Uh, he had a few catches, you know, he had some eligibility issues last season. I was happy to see him out there. And uh, another guy who had a few plays here and there, uh, Gerard Baker, Jared Baker. I, don't, I think they said Jared Baker on the, on the big screen um, or over, over the PA system, Jared Baker, he tore his ACL and missed all of last season or majority of last season and saw, saw some time at the end of last season. Um, but to see him out there again, you have those, that 2018, 2019 recruiting class, uh, you know, guys like that kind of get lost in the mix. So to see those two guys out there, both Deontay and, and Jared, were, that was good to see. 
Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think um, personally, I was I was disappointed to not get to be there for the spring game, or at least get to see anything. Just got to see the highlights on Twitter. Um, but good to get some insight from both of you who were there. Uh, Jason, we really appreciate you joining us. And and before we get out of here, just want to let you plug anything that uh, you want to plug. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we got the NFL draft in two weeks. So, you know, I think Richie Grant and Aaron Robinson, all those guys had a great pro day. So hopefully draft coverage will be uh, coming soon. Knights247.com, plenty of recruiting stuff. Uh, you know, June will be a big month for UCF. Hopefully in-person recruiting uh, is able to come back. So Knights247.com at the real BD on Twitter. So that's where you can keep up with all your UCF coverage in addition to Night Sports now in the Pegasus. <laughs> okay, I lied. I have one more question for you. Now that you brought up the – is it also wild to you that Aaron Robinson is getting a little bit more buzz than Richie Grant? I find it incredibly odd. Um, and that's not to say Aaron's <laughs> okay. not a bad player. I mean, I think Richie right. and Aaron could both go second round. I think – I think Richie will go second round, but I think Aaron will be late second, maybe early third. Um, but, you know, I think, I don't know. I don't know if it's just his size or, or, or what, but yeah, I, I just feel like Richie's the most pro ready prospect out of the entire group. And, you know, I don't know. It's, 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 it's interesting to me uh, how people view Aaron Robinson and then Richie Grant, Aaron, and then there's like a gap and then there's Tay Gowan. Nothing against Tay, but it's like, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see who gets drafted where. Um, but yeah, I, yeah would, I'm, I would think. I'm really Richie's curious about it. For a six there. and four season, it could be one heck of a deep draft class for UCF. It's, it's incredible. I mean, it's really <laughs> incredible. I mean, you're going to have yeah. potentially three or four guys from a six and four season get drafted, which is, I mean, that that's up there for draft classes for UCF, right? In, in yeah. terms of totals. I mean, that would be pretty remarkable. But subpar record. Individual talent. Yeah subpar record and a great draft class ucf is now miami everybody <laughs> welcome to the big boys yeah and okay yeah, on, on, on that sure. note yeah <laughs> on on that note we'll go ahead and say goodbye to jason jason again we appreciate you so much for for jumping on with us and, and talking with us i'm sure we'll we'll try to have you on again soon if, if you're down for that absolutely thanks guys cool, thanks yeah. jason Good to see you jason and uh so moving on we're gonna um go ahead and talk about uh something that kind of popped up uh earlier this week uh, about UCF and their scheduling news and they're apparently in talks about uh, a game that people have wanted to see for a while now uh they're in talks with Alabama about a potential meeting in 2023 so Christian is this a good idea for UCF well I don't know is my official take. I don't know. I I've been going back and forth on it since that news broke. So basically what it's just to give the total recap, it was sec network, I think was originally workout reported. And it's been, it seems like it's a legit thing. It's been reported by a couple other people in the UCF community since then that what we're looking at apparently is a 2023 game against Alabama at Alabama stadium, one off game. And that's that, which is like Danny white is like vomiting right now, even thinking of accepting something like that but this is a new era this is terry mahadra and gus malzahn my thing is and i want to get to what you tweeted because your tweet was a really good point i guess uh, i'm I'm literally it's like you're hearing me decide in real time because i don't know how i feel about it i keep going back and forth i want to watch that game i guess that's what it comes down to is i want to watch ucf play alabama and i know that the concern that i don't think other ucf fans are going to share with me is my concern is that ucf will lose badly 
And um, that's not a drag on UCF. That's what I want people to understand. Like they're basically every single team gets blown out by Alabama. I mean, Clemson's been blown out. Ohio State's been blown by Alabama. Texas A&M finished number four in the nation this year, and they lost, what, like 56 to 24 Alabama? The difference is at Texas A&M loses 56 to 24 to Alabama, and it's like, ah, they'll be back next week. And UCF does it, and it's like, they're a fraud, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So I guess from that perspective, I get it. But the other, the flip side of it that I think about is as of right now, Outside of Orlando, I think the majority of college football fans believe that UCF would get blown out by Alabama. Would you say that's fair? Absolutely. So if UCF goes and gets blown out by Alabama, nothing's changed. The perspective hasn't changed because that's already the perspective. If they do anything less than that, if they lose by 10, if they lose a close one, if they win, then they've changed the narrative. Yeah. I mean, to an extent, nothing changes. I I think because right now it's, Oh, like UCF would get blown out by Alabama. Like that's that's the narrative right now. And if they went out and did get blown out, then the narrative would be, oh, they've got blown out by Alabama C. So But then UCF fans just come back with, well, so did Texas AM and Ohio State and everybody else. Yeah, I mean it really, yeah. So in, in the larger sense, like nothing really does change because people's opinions of UCF are already what they are. And you know, a blowout loss, I guess you I guess yeah, what you're saying is it's true. It's just that they do have a little bit of proof behind what they've been saying all along. Even though it doesn't really measure up and that's that's why i tweeted what i tweeted i said basically you know can't wait for if 2023 ucf loses this game i can't wait for that to reflect on 2017 ucf it, it hasn't whatsoever and because you know that was that was when all this all this really started it was you know ucf was was with the national championship claim and, and this is the year that alabama won the national championship and it was always you know it played on the field alabama would crush them but it's you know we never got to see it that year and we'll never get to see it so i mean 2023 it would be cool to see these two teams play but it would have no bearing whatsoever on what would have happened on the field previously the other thing to keep in mind about 2017 and it's why it's frustrating because i absolutely do agree people do that now like ucf lost to byu and everyone's like lol national champs and i'm like that just has nothing to do with anything so absolutely if ucf played alabama they would try to discredit a game from six years ago but you look at 2017 that was UCF was ridiculously talented that year they proved that in the Peach Bowl they proved it throughout the whole year probably the most talented team UCF has ever had and what really sucks about the way the system set up is that was a year that like I fully believe that UCF could have won the national championship that year in in the college football playoff I don't know if they would have but you look at that year Alabama even the, the team that won the national championship was not normal Alabama they struggled against what went on to be a seven and six Florida state. They didn't get a lot of their typical blowout wins. They struggled with a lot of teams throughout the season. They didn't even make the sec championship game. That was probably the the weakest national champion Alabama that we've seen under Nick Saban. And the rest of the playoff field was Oklahoma and Georgia. If UCF was the fourth seed, let's say they would have played Clemson. It was number one seed. Clemson was also not that great. I think that was the year they lost to Pitt or was that the year they lost to Syracuse and then ended up going down in the first round of the playoffs without much of a fight. I just at UCF matched up great with what Oklahoma does. So like if UCF that 2017 UCF got a shot in that year, they absolutely could have won. So it sucks that now something that can happen in 2023, people might use to flip that on the flip side. If UCF goes and beats Alabama in 2023, it, it absolutely, it like, it doesn't just change the narrative. It destroys the narrative. Like it, it, there's nothing anyone can ever say again. If UCF goes and beats Alabama in the regular season. 
Yeah, and yeah, because it's one of those things where oh, you can't you can't say that Alabama wasn't motivated. You can't use any of those excuses. And in to be hypocritical because again 2023 wouldn't have any bearing on 2017 but i think ucf fans would have that kind of that ammunition where if the 2023 team won i mean i we have no idea what the team's gonna look like in 2023 we don't know how good they're gonna be but i think mikey, Ke- mikey Keene will be a red shirt <laughs> junior so they will be at least undefeated but anyway i think you can say like 20 they, they probably won't be the 2017 team and if they are great, but if they're not, you know, you could say, oh, well, this team beat your, your, your Alabama team. Our 2017 team was even better, you know, so we got a shot back then and we'll never know, but it's got, you've got to put the thought in people's minds. And that, that kind of sounds probably hypocritical, but I don't really care um, because I don't know. I think in a way, you know, UCF fans have earned, well, I don't say have earned it, but I think they would have the right to have that opinion or hold that opinion if, if such, such a thing played out on the field. And the other thing I do want to say on this, if it does come to fruition, because I know it's not official yet or anything, it's just apparently something that they're discussing and seems like it could really happen. I props to Alabama and to Nick Saban and to that organization for being willing to schedule this game. And I know UCF fans are going to come back and throw a fit when this gets announced. I know that some will, and they'll be like, why aren't they coming back to the bounce house? Listen, you can make that argument with any other team. Alabama runs this sport and has for 15 years now. If you want to play Alabama, you play Alabama on Alabama's terms. That's the way that is. There is no earthly reason or benefit for them to play this game. There just isn't. Yeah. So the p- fact that they are even in the discussion phase, props to that program, because there are a lot of much lesser programs in college football that would hang up the second UCF called. Oh, absolutely. I, I think we've, we've, I don't know specific programs themselves, but you know, we just know how hard it, it is. And we can obviously deduce how hard it is for UCF to schedule some of these power five teams, because a lot of them realize, you know, this is, there's, this is a no win situation for us. Um, so yeah, I mean, props to Alabama for that. And also, yeah, on your point about, you know, UCF fans wanting Alabama to come back here and, you know, do a return game. That's, that's not, that's never happening. You know, you're, you're not going to get Alabama, even on like a, I don't even think they would do a three for one. Cause it just, there's no, there's no benefit. Like you said, there's no benefit to do this once. So they're not going to set up a, a wider series and take, you know, give up a home game to come to Orlando. And it's just, it's just not going to happen. It's, that was Alabama. No. And but, we can get after Florida for that. We can get after, yeah. you know, Miami for that. It, like I said, Alabama is Alabama. You, you, it's they're, they're complete their own thing. So yeah, like I think it's, it's, I know that there's no benefit for either of them, but Florida refusing to come to the bounce house is sad, frankly. Like Alabama refuses to come to bounce house. They run the sport. They're going to do whatever they think is best for them. And there's nothing you can say about that because they're going to go win the national championship either way. So I, but like right now, in all honesty, like how many power five programs, if UCF picked up the phone right now and said, we'd like to come play you once at your stadium. I feel like the majority of them are just going to say no. Yeah. I think less than 10 would say yes. I mean, honestly, like I don't think any of the Florida ones do. Miami wouldn't because no. we'd crowd their stadium. FSU <laughs> wouldn't because we'd crowd their stadium and Florida wouldn't because they don't want to lose. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think, I don't think very many would. Um, so yeah, it's, I don't, I don't, I kind of am curious to just know what the motivation behind it is for Alabama. Like I wh- really why? just, I don't you know. Bored? 
I really don't know. I, is is Nick Saban just like I'm in my like few years, last few years here? I've won seven national titles. Let's start messing around. Like, yeah, I mean, they might just be bored. Like, I, you know, maybe same... it's, I mean, maybe it's just Gus Malzahn. I mean, he I, I don't know if he knows Nick Saban or if they have a relationship there, but maybe that was enough. I mean, we've talked about in, how in the last few months UCF is Gus Malzahn has sort of lended them this legitimacy on a national level because he's such a renowned head coach. And maybe it is that that teams are willing to listen to a Gus Malzahn coach team more than they were a Josh Heupel or a Scott Frost, who were both fairly unknown coaches coach team. Yeah. And it's interesting because I think that's, that has to be a part of it. And, you know, I'm not even sure this happens. I know you said it's like something that they're discussing and I'm still not like convinced that this is going to happen, but mm-hmm. just even the fact that the discussion's happening, I think speaks a lot to Malzahn's profile. And I think it, it should probably help and, and it should kind of give people some hope that UCF's going to be able to get some, get some games on the schedule here pretty soon. Um, you know, as much as Mo Hodger's wanting to make that a priority, I, I think I'm going to help with that, I think. And listen, as much as we talk about Malzana, let's not forget Terry Mahajer's the guy that got Miami to agree to a home and home with Arkansas state. So we've got yeah. a couple of uh, miracle workers here really. So, but yeah, cause Mahajer had been talking about how UCF is going to have to do some scheduling things that fans aren't going to like. I'm curious if this was one of the things he was referencing, because I took that to mean scheduling bad opponents to get games on the schedule. But am I alone in thinking that, say that tomorrow they announce this. I don't think they're going to, but say that tomorrow they announce we're doing it. We're playing Alabama in 2023. We're going there once and that's it. I think at least 30 to 40% of UCF's online fan base is going to be quite angry about that. Um, I don't, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know the percentage. I, I think there would be people, there'd be a segment of the fan base that would be angry about it. But I think, I don't know, I want to say that a more a majority of people would be happy about it and would be just excited about the chance Alabama. Because I, I think, I don't know, it's, it's like it's like it's that one game that everyone wanted to see, has wanted to see for years now, and no one really thought it would ever be the ability. And now they're just discussing it. I think we saw in the when like when it the news of the discussion came out, it was just kind of like people people seemed excited about it from from what I saw. I don't know. Did you see people, a lot of people angry about it? I well, when it came out, I don't think a lot of UCF fans were processing that this was going to be a one off because I saw a lot of discussions about when do you think they'll be coming back to Orlando? (laughs) Uh, It will be like we have opening dates this season. Like, will it be a camping world? Blah, blah, blah. And yeah, I saw fans being like, well, they like I saw fans upset at the notion that the return game will be camping world. So I don't, so yeah, I don't feel yeah, confident. You can only that, imagine and, what their, their reaction is to just that there's not a return. Game. Yeah. And I'd like to caution against that because that's going to make UCF look so bad if they get Alabama on the schedule and UCF's fans after complaining that no one will play UCF and complaining about how they're playing UCF. And I get it because we've spent the last, because, you know, everyone, Night Nation and UCF Twitter Mafia lined up behind Danny White's line because that's what you do. And Danny White's line was home and home or nothing. And it's hard to not, to unprogram that because UCS has been doing that for five years now. And we've seen the result. The result is that the schedule is so bare that we literally are like in a dire situation now. So it just doesn't <laughs> work. And, you know, I, I respect where Danny was coming from. And I defended that strategy for a long time because I felt that two for one or home and home, a lot of power five teams, it doesn't make a difference. Um, but it just got to the point where you had so few games on the schedule. It's like, y- you can't just keep standing by this because it's not working. Yeah. I mean, at some point you're going to have to probably concede. And and I mean, he never had the, the really the chance, I guess he wasn't going to concede. I don't know what would have happened had he stayed and had he been the one tasked with filling out the schedule, but now Mohajer's in, in charge of that. And just the one last thing on this, just kind of curious because 
you know, 2023 is it's only a few years, a couple of years away, actually 2021 right now, obviously. Um, and you just, who knows what UCF like will look like, you know, and what the UCF football landscape will look like. Well, Malzahn, you know, you kind of hope and think that he would still be here, but you know, if, if he's the one behind the scenes, like wanting to make this happen, I mean, that's a pretty, that's a pretty nice commitment right there. I mean, you would think that he's not going to schedule this game and then dip after a year or so. Well, that's, I've said this, and I've said this before, and I'll say it again. You know, I don't think, like when Gus Malzahn says, I'm committed to staying here, I'm committed to building it. I fully believe him. I don't think he, like Josh Eiple and Scott Frost had versions of that, but never that committed. And it was quite clear that they were both going to leave for bigger jobs eventually. Like that was very clear. They were first time head coaches, whatever. So when Gus says it now, I do believe him. I think in his mind right now, he plans to retire here. I think he plans to turn UCF into a powerhouse. I think he plans to get UCF to the playoffs, maybe in the power five. I think he plans to be there, Bowden or whatever. I do think he plans that, or that's his plan. The thing is, it's easy to have that plan two months in the job. What happens when three years in UCF hasn't made a New Year's Six Bowl? Or what happens when three years in UCF is making New Year's Six Bowls, but he's realized there is no chance to make the playoff here? Or what happens when expansion does go this way? What happens when UCF goes 13-1 and this year and there's a Blue Blood offering him a job next year? I think it's really easy to have that mindset now. I don't, and I believe him and I think he truly has it, but I just don't know if he has it when the offers are there or when the success, or when he's realizing there's more of a ceiling here than he expected. Yeah. And I think that's the reality is that things can change and very quickly they can change. So, and, and this isn't to turn this whole thing into how long will Gus Malzahn be here discussion, but just kind of curious to see, you know, that's only a couple of years in the future, but I, I think by then, if, if everything's going according to the, into the way he's kind of laid out, you know, what he wants to accomplish at UCF really be, and it's already, it already would be a high profile game, I would say this year, but by then it would be an even bigger high profile game. And I, I think, you I mean, you know, Alabama is still going to be good. It's, it's only a couple of years away. Saban's not retiring in two years. So, you know, they're going to be, they're going to hold up their end of the bargain. And I think by oh, yeah. then UCF should be, you know, should be up there. And, and it would be, I think a, a really, really, intriguing game not only for both fan bases but just nationally i think it would be something that a lot of people would want to see that that's that's college that's college game day oh without a doubt that's and that's not uh, like for ucf fans wondering if like oh is this just because i'm a ucf fan no that would be a people be watching it expecting a blowout but that everyone would watch that game that that would be like the quintessential david versus goliath game of modern college football Absolutely. And yet, I mean, that's the thing too, is if people were watching it and expecting a blowout, I think they would watch the whole thing just to watch UCF. If it was, if it turned out to be a blowout, I think people would stick around and watch the whole thing because they'd be enjoying it so much. Which man, Gus Malzahn's talking about up and how we recruit getting four stars, five stars. He better start fast. (laughs) 2023 (laughs) is not that far away. (laughs) Get some of those in the door, you know, this, this cycle, I guess, but yeah, I I think it'll be you know, if this actually comes to fruition and when it does, I mean, there was really no timeline put on, oh, expect this announcement anytime soon, or even that they were, had progressed in talks that, that far, but definitely something interesting that's kind of just on the radar right now and comes to, comes to pass. But I, I think, you know, to, after talking about it a little bit more, I'm, I'm kind of, I want to see it. I do want to see it. And, you know, it would be a little scary. It would definitely be one of those the more nerve wracking games. Cause you just fear for going on Twitter if, if things go wrong, but you know, it would still be something that would be, I think, big for the UCF program, um, you know, especially with, you know, how far it's come. But um, and, uh, you know, we, they went to Alabama before and they won there before. So the, the worst thing that can happen is that Alabama evens the series. Um, that is true. 
I, and it was like you talked about, we had a podcast a few weeks ago. If you haven't listened to it, go listen because it was a good podcast where we picked the teams that we would most like to see UCF schedule. Yeah. Um, and neither of us picked Alabama. And I listed why. I straight up said, I don't see an upside here. You're just going to get blown out because it's Alabama. And it's like you just said, it's like, and I felt that way at the time. And now that it's actually on the table and like a real possible thing, I'm just like, the one thought I just can't get out of my head is regardless of circumstances, I just really want to see UCF play Alabama. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, why not? <laughs> but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. And, you know, with, with that, with that, we'll move on to the news section and, and wrap up with some, some news across the uh, UCF sports football wise. There's nothing really uh, other than the spring game that happened, but they, they did announce the other day, I think it was on Wednesday that 92% of season tickets are now sold out. So you know, if you're hoping to be in the bounce house this fall and, you know, granted that uh, the stadium is, is full um, like they want it to be, you know, you should get on your tickets soon. Um, I'm not a ticket salesperson. I don't know why I'm trying to sell you guys tickets, but I want to see a, a full, I want to see a full bounce house. I want the, the atmosphere to be rocking um, all year long and, you know, safely, of course, but looking forward to that uh, volleyball, they, their season came to an unfortunate end on Wednesday um, before Melville was named to the CA all team for the third straight season. Um, but then their their season came to an early end, earlier than we wanted and expected. They lost three to two against High Point in the NCAA tournament first round game. Uh, they were they down they were trailing two one after three sets and were uh, were able to do enough to get it to five sets, but just couldn't couldn't pull through with the comeback and a disappointing into a, a really good season for for volleyball. And you know Todd Dagenet has has taken that program. I think they've had they've had three straight AAC uh, championships now, and you know you would expect them to bounce back pretty strong next year. Um, that was um, really, 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 really sad to watch. Um, yeah, it was. Losing after it, this year. It, early on, it felt like, you know, oh, High Point's going to stick around for a little bit, but UCS eventually going to pull away, and then they just didn't. And it was uh, it was definitely a frustrating one. I mean, High Point played a, a fantastic game, and, you know, with, with the way they were playing, UCF had to bring its best game. And unfortunately, at the wrong time, you know, UCF didn't bring its best game, but you know, like I said, still, still a, a good season, another uh, AAC championship for them. And um, unfortunately, you know, I don't think, I think McKenna Melville's gone now. If I, I think um, so. Yeah. But I mean, just one of the best players in the program's history. Absolutely. And just has all the honors to prove that. Uh, so UCF will miss her next year, but I, I, I would trust that dash uh, has another competitive team on next year. Uh, speaking of competitive teams, uh, softball is back on track. They uh, swept a four-game series at ECU. They won four to three and nine to five on Friday, four to nothing on eight to nothing on Sunday. Elite named the AAC Pitcher of the Week after 14 and a third innings, where she gave up just two runs and struck out 10. Jasmine Esparza was named to the AAC's weekly honor roll. And uh, poll-wise, there's a, a lot of polls going on. Uh, UCF softball is number 23 in the USA Today slash NFCA coaches poll and the D1softball.com poll. They're number 24 in slash USA Today poll and number 22 in the Softball America poll. And RPI-wise, they're number 36. Um, you know, after all those rankings came out, I, I would expect a, a boost in these next weeks, you know, depending on what happens this weekend. But I would expect a boost after they beat number five Florida on the road, seven to nothing on Wednesday. That complete completed a season sweep of the Gators and UCF is now 30 and nine overall in the AAC. So, you know, I, I know they had that uh, difficult series against Tulsa a couple weekends back, but they're back on track. They're 30 and nine and, and clicking again. Uh, baseball continued to be just very average in conference play. They split the four game weekend series at Cincinnati. 
uh, winning eight to six on Friday uh, before a two one loss to finish off the doubleheader on Friday. Then they won twenty to ten on before losing ten to six on Sunday. So they're now fourteen and eighteen overall and four and four in the American Athletic Conference. Um, just I don't really know what to say about them anymore. It's just kind of like they're just this is just kind of the season they're going to have. It looks like uh, Jordan was named to the AAC's weekly honor roll after that Cincinnati series. Um, a lot to get through with men's soccer. Uh, they finished off the the AAC regular season with a, a three nothing a three nil win at Memphis on Friday, clinching the top spot in the conference. It was their sixth straight win to finish seven and three in the regular season. Uh, they'll have the top spot in the AAC tournament, which will uh, which is already underway. UCF's semifinal game against number four seed SMU is actually tonight, as we're recording this Thursday night. Christian and I are going to get out of here so we can get out to the UCF uh, complex for that game. Uh, the winner plays uh, in Saturday's final. And uh, so uh, we're hoping, uh, hoping for a, a good run in the conference tournament and then an NCAA bid for men's soccer. But hey, uh, Bailey. already, yes. Guess what kit UCF men's soccer is wearing. They just tweeted Blackout. It. How did you know? <laughs> they're, they're sticking with it. They wore it against Memphis too, didn't they? I think they've worn it the entire win streak. Yeah, I mean, I, I think at this point they're kind of they're just gonna have to ride it until lose, but I think they're just gonna have to ride it until they do. Um, I'm excited to see that then. Um, <laughs> individual honors for for a lot of these guys. Yanis Learman was defensive player of the week for the second straight week. Yannick Ertl was named the AAC goalkeeper of the week for the fifth season, and Gino Vivi was AAC's weekly honor roll. Uh, the team was ranked number eight college soccer news top this week and number 20 in the United Coaches Bowl. Ertl was named the AAC Goalkeeper of the Year for the third straight season. Yoni Sorokin was named the AAC Midfielder of the Year. Um, there was five players named the All-AAC First Team. It was Ertl, Sorokin, Gino Vivi, Yanni Slearman, and Anderson Rosa. Adebayo Barry was named the All-AAC Second, while Luca Dorado and Andrew Lizanis, uh, and, oh, and Anderson Rosa, all three of them were named the All-AAC Rookie Team uh, and UCF also received the AAC's Team Fair Play Award. So just racking up the honors and, and recognition at the end of the regular season. Uh, and Top Drawer Soccer released their Top 100 Freshman of the Year with Anderson Rosa finishing uh, as number six. Andrew Lizanis was number 70 and Luca Dorado was number 83. So uh, exciting times for UCF men's soccer, which you know I think we once discussed on this podcast is one of the bigger disappointments in UCF history until they just decided to say, you know, we're going to turn this around and go on a, a really big run so exciting times uh women's soccer unfortunately had a down year this year they, they lost three to one uh to finish off the regular season on sunday against houston they finished two four and one and missed the aac tournament uh the top drawer soccer named their top 100 freshman as well for women's soccer and katie bradley came in at number 25 while sarai linder came in at number 32 linder was named to the uh, all aac first team and the all aac rookie team while Bradley was named to the All-AAC rookie team. Uh, Ellie Moreno and Madison Mernon were named to the All-AAC second team. So some, some nice honors for them, despite a uh, record that was below what we would expect from a typical UCF women's soccer team. Um, men's tennis, they you know, continued to roll. They won 4 nothing against UNF on 5-2 to two against number 29, Wichita State on Monday. So they've won nine in a row. They're now 17-3 and overall and 5-0 and in the AAC. They stayed at number 10 in the Oracle slash ITA team rankings this week. And Gabriel DeCamps, the, the singles and doubles rankings are back, people. They took a mysterious absence for one week. I still don't understand what that was about. But Gabriel DeCamps was ranked, uh, he's up to number three. 
Uh, Juan Pablo Grassi Mazur is ranked uh, number 102nd in singles and uh, doubles wise. Bogdan Pavel and Trey Hildebrand was were ranked number 13, and DeCamps and Hildebrand were ranked number 31. So um, that team is is rolling right along towards the end of their regular season. As is women's tennis, who won seven nothing against South Florida on Friday. They're now 13 and four overall and two and zero in the AAC. They're number 14 in the college tennis top 25 and number 18 in the Oracle slash ITA team rankings. Um, singles and doubles rankings are back for them as well. Valeria Zaleva was ranked number 22nd in singles. Uh, Rebecca Stomar was ranked number 28 in singles. And uh, to round out the singles rankings for UCF, uh, Evgenia Levashova was ranked number 110. And doubles-wise, Tell uh, were ranked number 44. Outdoor track and field, they had another uh, another nice meet on uh, over the weekend. They started the Hurricane Alumni Invitational in Coral Gables on Friday with Chloe, Chloe Hill winning the hammer throw with a personal best and Kalia Jones picking up a personal best in the high jump. Uh, on Saturday, Renaya Jones won the 100-meter hurdle title while setting another new freshman record, while Holly Castles finished uh, with some personal bests in her first collegiate heptathlon. Uh, the four by one relay team of Beyonce DeFritas, Ciara Holbach, uh, Renaya Jones, and Danielle Bess took home the title in that event, while Kiara Lee won the triple jump and finished second in the long jump. Katie Pinnell finished second in the 800 meter run with a personal best, and Charlotte Crook came in just behind her for third with her own personal best. So, quite the, the mouthful for um, a lot of these teams. A lot was going on this week around the kingdom in, at UCF, but um, you know, this, this next week is not going to be really any different. Uh, looking at the road ahead, soft four-game weekend series versus Wichita State. They'll play Friday and then a doubleheader Saturday and then Sunday. And then Tuesday, they actually added this game against the United uh, States women's national team. The women's national softball team is going to be at UCF on Tuesday. Um, so that'll be, a, that'll be a fun one. Uh, baseball, they have a four-game weekend series at home. It's the return series against uh, South Florida and the Warren Island. They have a doubleheader on Friday, and they play Saturday and Sunday. Uh, men's soccer, like I said, they have uh, Thursday night against number four seed SMU, and if they win, they'll play in Saturday's AAC tournament final. Men's tennis, they play uh, Sunday against Memphis and Tuesday against Tulsa, which is their regular season finale. Women's tennis has a big one Friday at Florida State before their regular season finale on Monday against Tulsa. Women's golf, uh, getting ready for the AAC championship in Pinehurst, North Carolina. That's going to be Sunday through Tuesday. Outdoor track and field has the Tom Jones Invitational in Gainesville on Friday and Saturday. And finally, rowing is back at it on Friday against Miami. So, like I said, a lot going on. It's been a busy spring, and it's going to continue to be a busy spring. Um, uh, definitely giving me a, a, lot to, a lot to deliver to you guys in the news section week in and week out. Christian, we're going to go into your, you know, your prized uh, segment, the uniform of the week. The previous winners, men's soccer has won four times with the gray Pegasus winning twice and the blackout winning twice. And of course, they'll be wearing the blackouts probably until they lose again. Women's basketball won once with uh, their black uniforms, while baseball has won twice with the Pegasus and the road grays last week. So, Christian, throwing it over to you for your uniform of the week for this week. Yes, yes. My prized segments, uniform of the week. Um, yeah, I said last week I didn't give it to men's soccer because I feel like they're wearing the black one too much and I didn't put together so after that. Oh, they're wearing because they're not losing in it. Um, so I respect that actually, but I, on that alone, I would have given it to them this week because it's such a, such a nice kit, but unfortunately for men's soccer and for baseball and for softball and for volleyball, we had football uniforms this week. 
And of the two combos we saw, three combos technically only run you through it. So at the spring game, uh, the I guess it wasn't offensive defense. Uh, the first team, all the first teamers, I believe, wore white helmets. It's still, it's not, we'll get there. White helmets with black jerseys and black pants. The second team wore white helmets with white jerseys and black pants. And then the guys that you weren't supposed to hit wore white helmets with pewter jerseys and black pants, which sounds awful, but honestly look kind of cool. Like don't wear it in a game, but like, I liked it. Um, yeah. So the thing about the helmets is they are a little, they are a little different. They did more than usual. Usually they don't put anything on the helmets, except they just slap the UCF logo on the side. This time they were the full on like UCF logo, sword stripe player numbers on the back knight's word mark like they went all out the one thing is they just used the decals that they never use on those helmets it was just this like so the white helmets for literally years now have been chrome gold always and they just use the standard decals which is a standard ucf we saw that helmet for the last time in 2016 so it's been a minute obviously the chrome gold is an upgrade but that's okay and of those three combos obviously one of them is going to win come on guys the football uniforms are just out of this world um the winner is white white black worn by the second team that was a combo that we saw in game again with Chrome Gold decals against Pitt in 2019. And a lot of people were like, don't wear it again because we lost. Like that's a thing that affects anything. <laughs> and uh, it's an awesome combo. I hope we see it again on the road soon. Maybe even this year, I think it'd be a really good Louisville combo. Actually we'll see. It is. It's a good combo for a day game because the Chrome Gold, the way it just pops during the day, man. Oh, I just love those. I love those decals so much, but yeah, white, white, black for UCF football takes it this week. Welcome to the list UCF football. Um, I have a feeling that's not going to be their last appearance uh, as your uniform of the week. So it will be their the last appearance for exactly five months and uh, well, we'll be back to it. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a long five months, I guess, but actually <laughs> I guess that segment's going to go away by, by summer because there's I have something, pl- I have some plan for it. We'll be fine. Okay. That's a, that's a nice tease. I'm, I don't even know what that is myself. So um, <laughs> we're not going to let anybody else in on that right now. Cause I don't even know it. Um, but yeah, it was also uh, with these football, like we mentioned earlier with Jason, uh, they had the player uh, Twitter handles on the back. So I don't, did that factor into your decision at all? No, football was kind no. of no matter what. I, I, as, I figured. Uh, from a des- uh, in all honesty, from a design perspective, I don't like love it, but it's a pretty minor, like we're talking about basically adding an at <laughs> jerseys yeah. on the back. So like, I don't, some people were really like bothered by it. I just don't understand. I think if recruits love it and players love it, keep doing it. Yeah, and why not? It's the spring game. Everybody just lighten up a little bit. Have some fun. Where in the fall? I've had some fun. Uh, yeah, I mean, that'll really get people riled up. That they really will. If they can do that without I mean. getting uh, like kicked out of bowl games, they should absolutely do that. <laughs> uh, so I have to look into, but um, yeah, congratulations to football. They're, they're on the board for the first time and not definitely not the last time. But uh, with that, I just want to say thank you guys so much for listening. And, and again, thanks again to Jason Beatty for joining us uh, earlier to talk about the UCF spring game. I don't know. I, I'm not really sure how this is going to come through, but I've been having some internet issues or some one of us has, and then my mic has been weird. So if, if I cut out at any point, apologies on that. We'll try to get that fixed up for uh, the future. Don't know what's going on really, but thank you for sticking with us. Appreciate you guys for listening uh, to episode 13. We'll be back next week with episode 14 as we venture into football list territory. Um, a lot of other sports to talk about. We'll, we'll figure out a UCF football topic to talk about, of course. Yes, um, but it's going to be a going to be a, a, an interesting few months. We're going to have to get some get creative with some of our ideas. But until next week, you can find us on Twitter at Bailey J Adams twenty two at by C A Simmons and at Night Sports Now. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye, everybody.